The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. Well, today I'm going to start with a series of pictures, and this here is a picture of my boss. Well, that's how I like to see him anyway. My boss is driven, he's never faced by a challenge. In fact, often he rises to it and everyone in the office looks up to him. Well, actually, this is a picture of my boss. His name is Al Stewart. He just came back from long service leave today. And that's how he sees himself in the mirror every morning. And he wonders why I sometimes call him Bruce in the morning. This is a picture of my mum. Well, that's how I like to see her anyway. She dines at three chef's hat restaurants and then goes home and replicates it for half the price. And as her son, I get to eat it. She's simply amazing. But this is a picture of my mum. Not one to trumpet her own horn. She prefers to cook in her slippers, as it's shown in this picture, in the comfort of her own kitchen and for her own family. Now, this is a picture of me. Well, how I like to see myself anyway. Fit, athletic, so immune to winter that rather than hibernating, I'm happy to play sports in short shorts and a tight singlet, and I won't freeze at all. This is a picture of me hibernating in winter, watching others play sport. How others perceive us and how we perceive ourselves are often different, aren't they? The picture we have and the pictures others have of us Rarely are they the same. And when it comes to interviewing someone, isn't it particularly crucial, crucial that the two pictures align or overlap? I mean, if you went up to my boss thinking he was Bruce Willis, the movie star, and asked him how much he earned on his last film, my boss would reply, well, nothing. In fact, the last film I was in was a City Bible Forum promotion video where I had to pay somebody to do it rather than get paid myself. Same with Poe from MasterChef and my mum or Kurt Tippett, the professional AFL footballer, and me. You know, if you ask me how much do I bench, I'd say, well, actually, isn't a bench something you sit on? It's only when the two pictures, the picture you have and the pictures others have of you, it's only when those two not only overlap but align that you can actually work together, that you can move ahead together and that you can make a difference. Well, today we're continuing our series titled Interviewing God and the scenario uh, we're imagining is this. You're sitting down in a chair and there's a table in front of you and on the other side of the table is an empty chair. In the background, at the back of the room, is a door and the door creaks open and God wanders in, pulls out the chair in front of you 
and sits down. And you, as the interviewer, get to ask God questions. But what would you ask in the interview? And more importantly, what and how would God answer? And as interviews go, we started off with some of the easier questions. So God, tell us a bit about yourself. We moved to a little bit more of a trickier question. So God, what is your management style? And this week, we're looking at the third question, and I think one of the more trickier questions. So God, why are you interested in me? And it's a tricky question because there's a statistical hurdle. Presently, there are over 7.3 billion people in this world. And assuming everybody has an equal chance, this is the probability of God being interested in you. 0.0000000013699. Can you feel the weight of each of those zeros after the decimal point? That's the likelihood that God would be interested in you and me. It just seems a fanciful notion. And yet there's not just a cold probability, a statistical hurdle, there's also a personal hurdle in this. It's not just a cold probability, it's also a heated question. I mean, why me, God? Why pick on me? Why be interested in what I think, say and do, and what I should think, say and do? Stop being nosy. Stop scrutinising my every move. I don't need a big brother watching over me. I've got parents, thank you very much, who do that well enough. So, God, why are you interested in me? I can feel the heat in the question. It's a tricky question. We have some hurdles to overcome. But as we interview God, I wonder whether the key to overcoming the hurdles, I wonder whether the key to unlocking the question, uh, or hearing the answer to the question, is aligning the two pictures that I mentioned before. In this case, how does God see us and how we see ourselves? And aligning those two pictures. And if you look at your outline on the right-hand side, you'll see that's the structure for the rest of the talk. Well, we're going to go back to the part of the Bible, which is kind of our transcript for our interview, and that's the first section uh, on your left-hand side, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. I'm going to show it up on the screen here. This is what we'll be looking at. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom... He made the universe. What this highlighted section is saying is God made everything. The universe and all that's in it. God made you. God made me. God created you. And he created me. See, why am I interested in you? God's answer is because I made you. That is God's picture of you. Now, to our modern ears, the concept of creating, I think, has lost some of its charm. I mean, if we want to create something new today, 
it no longer requires our two hands, it just requires two index fingers. Why? Well, you just need to press Control N on your computer and you get a new document. It, creating is purely functional these days. Indeed, since industrialization, it's also increasingly mechanical. You know, imagine a TV production line. How does it work? You know, Panasonic, 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 Hisense. You know, Panasonic, Panasonic. That, that's how it works. When it came to making you and me, did God do it like a factory line? Person, 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 tree, person, person, person. Because if that's the case, then what this section of the Bible is saying, it's nothing extraordinary. In actual fact, it's a bit demeaning, isn't it? However, as we read more of the Bible story, creating is more like this. It's creating is more like how an artist paints a picture. Uh, it's personal, it's deliberate. Each stroke reflects the artist's mastery of their profession. It's beautiful. And when this beauty is captured with the right framing, in the right lighting, in the scene before the right audience, you know, when this painting is exhibited in an art gallery as opposed to an archive, well, then the beauty is enhanced. Everyone enjoys it. Can you see then, not just why, but how God is interested in you? The statistical hurdle is no longer a hurdle because God didn't mass produce us, but we are each handcrafted in a personal and deliberate way. You may feel the weight of those zeros, but each of those zeros just points to how incredible it is that this God created you. Mark Leong of Chatswood, Sydney, Australia, the world was created by God. This God knows me. And I can know this God. Further, because God creates like an artist, beauty is part of our makeup. And our beauty is enhanced when we're placed in the right frame, in the right lighting, and before the right audience. When your life is framed by what God says in the Bible, when your life is understood in light of, what God's, of God's first step towards us in his son Jesus, and when your life is lived for the right audience, the audience who knows you, who sees you for who you are, when you live for the God who made you. That's you being displayed in the art gallery. If that's God's picture of us, what might our picture of ourselves be then? Well, here's a beautiful picture of Sydney, and Sydney, I think, is a world-class city. I mean, yes, there are bits of Sydney. We have our own quirks. We have a public transport system, which is at times dysfunctional. We have George Street uh, buses which now have become trams. You know, there are things that we need to iron out. But by and large, we have a stunning harbour and a stunning city line which 
parades our success to the world. Like other world-class cities, New York, Shanghai and Hong Kong, Sydney lives and breathes on self-made success. What makes us stand out is our ability to succeed, to build something from nothing, to beat the odds and make a name for ourselves. And yet this next picture made every worker in Sydney pause. Our office block is just two blocks away from Martin Place and for the weeks and months after this picture you could feel that the usual business as usual bravado of our city had just evaporated. For a moment all workers saw the story of self-made success has its shortcomings. It leaves us vulnerable. What, what happens when we fail? Uh, is contemplative silence all that we're left with when things crumble around us? See, a city searched for answers. Uh, and this picture reminds us that while logical and attractive, after all, as I walked down Pitt Street today, everyone seemed to be back to business as usual. The story of being self-made is incomplete. We don't have all the answers. Indeed, the greater questions of life, about life, death, hope, justice, they're only ever contemplated when an event shocks us. But otherwise, it's just ignored. The picture of us being self-made is partial at best, damaged at worst. See, God, why are you interested in me? Well, God's reply would be something like this. I know how I see you, but what picture do you have of yourself? Are you self-made or have you been handmade? Now, that would normally be enough to answer our question. God is interested in you and me because he created us. And yet... The God of the Bible, the God uh, that the followers of Jesus know, the God of Christianity, actually goes one step further than that. See, I'm interested in you not just as an artist who made you, but also as the artist who restores you, who saves you. That's his picture. Let's read uh, a portion of Hebrews again. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. We are all morally dirty and spiritually bankrupt before this God. That's the idea of the word sins there. And that is God's picture of us. However, if that is all that this part of the Bible said, then I think the personal hurdle we discussed before would still stand. All this God does is point out our failings. All this God does is put us down. 
this God could be accused of just being nosy. And yet, what this section reads is, it doesn't read, after he had pointed out our sins. No, it says, after he had provided purification for sins. This God not only points out where we're morally bankrupt, spiritually poor, but then this God does something about it. He actually washes us too. Uh, When Jesus dies at the first Good Friday and as promise comes back to life on Easter Sunday, what you see there is God removing our moral dirt. You see God dealing with our spiritual bankruptcy. How? By forgiving us. And in doing so, this God restores our created beauty. God's picture of us is that we are spiritually dirty, but he doesn't stop there. God can wash us clean. God can restore us. And as an artist, bring out our created beauty. As this verse says, after he had provided purification for sins. Well, if that's God's picture of us, what might our picture be? And I think there are two alternatives here. First of all, alternative, you might think, well, any dirt that I have, I can clean myself up. I have the detergent to wash myself. I have the skill to repair myself. I am self-made. Or the other picture might be, I'm too dirty. In fact, I'm very much aware of the stains of my past. They may even haunt me a bit today. They're like the permanent marker. They can never be removed. I'm doomed. And I wonder if that second picture was the picture floating around with the woman that we were introduced to when Russ read that second portion of the Bible for us. The woman of a questionable past. The woman who came to Jesus when he was eating dinner at the Pharisee's house. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went, Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town, did you notice how uh, it, she's described here? She's described as a woman who had lived a sinful life. Everyone knew that. The dinner guest at this house knew she was a woman with a questionable path, a sinful life. The host... Simon, the Pharisee, as the story unfolds, also knew that she had lived a sinful life. And you know what? The woman, too, knew. What was the woman's picture of herself? Well, she had very, very public stains. And everybody knew about it. That was her picture of herself. And I guess... When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she... What do you think she does? Well, she could have just turned away. Everyone knows I'm sinful. I'm just going to walk away. She could have kind of eavesdropped from the outside, couldn't she? Stood outside the house and just see what the commotion was about. That too would have been an option. But what does she do? Well, the story continues. She 
She brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. The woman comes to Jesus, vulnerable, emotional, but boldly. Why? Because her picture was God's picture. God could wash her clean. Her picture and God's picture actually aligned. She could have stayed away. She could have stayed on the outside, but no, she comes to Jesus because Jesus could purify her from her sins. In fact, what's Jesus' last words to her? Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That's what it looks like when your picture and God's picture, they align. So, which picture do you have? How do you picture yourself? Are you inclined to see yourself as self-made or handmade? Do you lean towards thinking you are too dirty and you're too scared to come? Or have you heard the invitation to come and have your pictures aligned so you do come to Jesus? Today we're seeing two pictures and we're seeing God's picture of you and me. God created you and God restores you. God saves you. Well, thank you, God. Uh, uh, we're moving on to our third question of the interview. Thank you for outlining your credentials as a manager. I can see they're well documented. But now can I ask you this question? So, God, why are you interested in me? Well, yes, uh, there are many, many people in the, in the world, so I guess why you? It's a great question. I understand why you would ask it. Well, in part, it really depends on how you view yourself. I don't mean to turn the interview around, but that's the question that we need to ask. I mean, I view you as a person who I've handcrafted. I've taken great pleasure in creating you. As an artist, you have been made with my beautiful hand. But that beauty is marred. Often you aren't in the right setting, in the right lighting, and before the right audience. And so my interest in you is not just as a project, a piece of art, but more personal. I'm, I'm interested in you as somebody who I've come to save, who, who can be restored and reset in the right place, in the right setting, before the right audience when you come to Jesus. You've been made by me and saved by me, washed, purified, and then placed in the right setting, the right lighting, and before the right audience. So, I am deeply interested in you and have been from the beginning. Will you come to me that you may live with me in peace and go in peace? I guess the question is, what picture will you take away today? 
first question is that, is it a sign that the world is a fallen world, is the fact that you're a Swans fan? Oh, that's a hush. That was mine, sorry. Oh. <laughs> yes, just, just remember, where did your team finish on the ladder, <laughs> exactly. and where did my team finish oh, on the yeah, ladder? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just not like the movie. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. all right, so first question. Are you ready? Yes. There's a, there's a few, so you might... Yeah, so I'm going to go to make sure we finish in time to sure. get back to work on time. So, should we think positively about ourselves, or are we meant to feel the weight of the guilt that you've talked about? Yeah. Um, I think this is a great question. You know, what, what picture should we have? And I think the answer is, uh, rather than an either-or, kind of a both-and. Uh, we should think positively of ourselves because the starting picture was God made you. Uh, he created you. And so that, that's a wonderful position to be in. Uh, it, it gives you an amazing dimension of what you think of another person. Another person who, who's completely different actually is God's image bearer. He's made by God and precious. So, that, so that, that's a positive note. But also, I guess, if you want to kind of track the story of the Bible, uh, the art... Well, what it says is we don't follow God and so, yeah, we do things that are wrong. Um, and so, yeah, we, we need to acknowledge that. Uh, there is a guilt associated with that. But interestingly, and maybe the easiest way to answer this question is, if you look at the, the woman, uh, how do you think she left after Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, go in peace, your faith has saved you? Uh, do you think she kind of left the room... Yes, my past is still on me. I'm going to walk out. Or do you think she left rejoicing because she's the pictures of a line she's come to God? You don't know, but my guess is she left rejoicing because there's something really positive that's happened. I'm now being placed in the right setting. And so, yes, guilt is part of, I guess, when you understand what you've, how you've lived and your moral uh, uh, moral dirt or spiritual bankruptcy, that's not great. But don't dwell there too long because Jesus has something further to say. And so it's really both hands, I guess. There's some great things to start with. You've been created. Great things that God would save you. But also there's a moment of realisation where you're thinking, yeah, maybe I haven't done things as I should have. So a both hand positive, beginning and ending, but also a moment of realisation in the middle. A question came after that kind of goes in the same yeah. So, So what are you saying that when I, if I follow or trust Jesus that I won't feel guilty anymore? Um, oh, I think there'll, there'll be moments where you feel guilty because you're, you're confronted just as, you know, you're confronted with, I actually have done something wrong. I haven't uh, lived God's way or I haven't followed what he says or uh, there are things I'm just not proud of whether it's what I, I think or what I've said or how I've treated somebody else who's been made by God. So, yeah, I think there's a sense of guilt there. But, but I think as you read more of the Bible, that guilt can be forgiven. And so we, those who follow Jesus acknowledge that, feel that, but they don't dwell in that forever. And so that's the wonderful thing, that... I can say, yes, I've done things wrong, and they're serious, but I don't just look at myself anymore. I actually look at what Jesus has done, and I hear his invitation, and I hear his promise. Your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. And so I think that's kind of, yeah, you'll have moments of guilt, but that won't be the, the way 
that the whole of following Jesus looks like. And one thing too is that if you, after Mark answers the question, you, you're always willing, you can always kind of push back on the Yeah, please do. Question. So please, uh, if you also need clarification, sometimes also how people send me an SMS, sometimes I have to kind of interpret what you're saying. So if I miss ask a question, please clarify. All right, the next one actually goes to the whole, it's kind of along a similar vein, but a little different. If God creates people individually, why are some people born with birth defects or born with disabilities, etc. Yeah, yeah. It's a great question. Um, I guess, in part, um, I'd like to say that, well, um, yeah, that disabilities um, come about through the way uh, genetics work, um, but I don't see somebody, and I've got friends who are, um, you know, who have kids who are disabled, I've got friends who are, uh, have mental disabilities. Um, I don't view them any differently as somebody who is able-bodied or without. Mm. I think disability is almost like a, a misnomer. They're, they're still created by God, they're still loved by God, they're still made in God's image. Because the idea of being made in God's image is not really our ability, a capacity question, it's actually whether you've been made by God and can know God. Uh, and there's a, um, one of my friends um, actually kind of started a, a church for people with, um, with, with mental disabilities and, and did things at their pace so they could actually understand that they're precious to God. Uh, and I think that's lovely. Uh, rather than being marginalised and thinking, you know, you're not mainstream, I think the Bible story is that you are very much in mainstream, you're part of humanity, and as much as Jesus died, you know, and as much as the offer of forgiveness is for people who are without mental disabilities, so they are with people with are. And so I think that's, in some sense, a lovely part of the the Christian message. I don't see them as any different to anyone else. The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city, or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.